G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Your faces. Well, Brother Jeff, I've loved you up until now. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello, my name is Bill and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. In this episode, we'll continue in our series about living dangerously. In this new message, Pastor Jeff is talking about our finances. He says he understands that preaching about money can be confronting and almost intrusive but our relationship with money is one the Bible and Jesus address frequently. Let's join Pastor Jeff now to see what he means by living dangerously with our finances as he begins in Malachi chapter 3. I've wondered why it is that I can talk to you about your pain and suffering give you encouragement during the trials of your life, and you'll listen. The crowd is always engaged. Uh, I can even talk to you about your job, your occupation, and how you can discover the will of God and what God wants you to do in your life with your job. I can even give you advice about raising children. Now, it's not always been that way for we pastors, but I can do that now as long as I'm kind and tread very lightly. I can give you scriptural principles about raising your children that you might have productive and effective children. I can even start talking about the physical side of the marriage relationship, as long as I choose my words carefully. But there's one area, when every week you come in here, it's not visible, but it's like all of you have a sign on your forehead that says, no trespassing, proceed with caution. It's in the category of none of your business pastor. And it's the word money. The reality is that's strange because out of the 38 parables Jesus tells in the New Testament, 16 are related to money. 16 out of 38. One out of every 10 verses in the New Testament. Strange, isn't it? 10%, imagine that, of all the verses in the New Testament deal with money and how you are related to your finances. Now think about it. 
500 verses, around 500 on prayer, just a little bit over 500 on faith, over 2,000 verses concerning money or finances. So you got to have to ask, why? Well, it's really simple. God knows that the manner in which you are related to your finances proves who you really are. It's the ultimate test of authenticity. That's why Jesus said very early in his ministry, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If I've got your treasure, then I'll have your heart. But the reality is you don't have to wait till Jesus comes on the scene to learn about what God thinks about your money. You can go all the way back to the Old Testament to do that. You can go to passages that we find in Malachi chapter 3. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to take you back in time a little bit for those of you who were raised in a more traditional church where you used to stand at the reading of the word out of respect for its authority. I'm going to ask you to stand as I read our text this morning. Would you do that? Now, don't see that as your opportunity to skedaddle. (laughs) Malachi chapter 3. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground nor were your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. You may be seated. Now let me give you a little history lesson quickly. In Malachi's day, his day was much like your and my day. As long as you talk about the goodness and the love and the mercy and graciousness of God, then you'll gain an audience and people will flock from everywhere. But as soon as you start to talk about that God expects something from you and that you have an obligation to God, it's amazing how the audiences start to dwindle. What made it worse in Malachi's day was that they had an incredible spiritual arrogance. They thought they were the cream of the crop. And so by the time God comes on the scene through the prophet Malachi and speaks these words, it must have been like the earth shaking. That's what it's like in Malachi 3. They're self-sustaining, they're self-sufficient, and all of a sudden God drops the bomb. And here's what he says in verse six. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Right out of the starting blocks, God is saying this. Do not mistake my withholding judgment as acceptance of what you're doing. Your grandparents knew what to do and did not do it. Your father, he knew what to do and he did not do it. Now you know what to do and you're not doing it. Therefore, stop this thing and return to me. They're so arrogant though. They say, in what way shall we return to you? I mean, how could we be distant from you, God? We go to church at least twice a month. We read our Bible when we can. We pray occasionally. We even volunteer in the parking lot ministry. There's an awful lot of spiritual activity involved in our lives. What do you mean, return to me? God says, okay, let's talk about your money. Will a man rob God? How are we robbing you, God, in tithes and offerings? 
Now, in order to extract the truth and application from this passage, I'm going to have to move into the role of teacher and teach you about this. Otherwise, you're going to leave here this morning finding a thousand ways to justify. So we're going to, first of all, to define some words. The first word is the word tithe that's going to take a few moments. Number one, you can follow along in your bulletin. I strongly encourage you to do so, so that you can go back to this from time to time. What is a tithe? A tithe is 10%. It's used 41 times in the Old Testament and New Testament. It means literally the word a tenth. A tithe, it's 10%. Number two, a tithe describes the immediate gift of 10% of your income at your first opportunity. Let me say it again. A tithe describes the immediate gift of 10% of your income at your first opportunity. Now, here's what the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 14. God is so committed for us to understand this principle that here's what he does. He says, if you live a long way from the tabernacle and it's a long journey for you to bring your sheep and goats and cows and grain, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to convert those to cash and bring it to the tabernacle at your very first opportunity. That's why the tithe is first and is not to be withheld even for a few days because God knows what we'll do when there's money in our pocket. Number three, the tithe symbolizes God's ownership of everything. In the tithe, you acknowledge that you really do believe that Psalm 24, 1 is true, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And your outward tithe reveals the inner affirmation that you have that everything that you have comes ultimately from God and that your ability to work and earn and earn a wage to survive in this world, all of that comes ultimately from God. That somewhere along the line, you ask the question, who gave me my hands? Who gave me my eyes? Who gave me my brain? Who gave me my intellect? Who gave me the ability to survive in this world by earning a wage? And you base the decision on passages like Jeremiah chapter one, verse five, that while you were even in your mother's womb, I formed you, I shaped you, I gave you your talents and abilities and everything that you would need to survive in this world. Now, let me put it to you this way. There is two different definitions for the word atheist. First of all, the philosophical atheist. He's the man or she's the woman who has brought argument after argument to bear on this issue and has decided that philosophically speaking, there is no God. So they call themselves an atheist. But there's also a pragmatic atheist. He or she is the person that while philosophically they believe that God is real, they live pragmatically as though he does not exist. So to them, to them in their mind, God is real maybe, but they live as though God did not originate life they live as though God has given them nothing, and they live as though they owe God not one single solitary thing. That is a pragmatic atheist. Number four, the tithe comes off the top of what you make. Why? Because the tithe is synonymous with the universal principle of first fruits. Let me say that again. The tithe comes off the top of what you make because the tithe is a synonym for the universal first fruits principle. Proverbs chapter three, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty 
and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, let me give you the antithesis of this comment. G. Campbell Morgan gives this definition. I've said this before, but it's a good time to interject it again. We often define the term sacrilege as taking something that is sacred and using it in a profane manner. But G. Campbell Morgan says sacrileges go far beyond that. Sacrilege is also taking something that means little or nothing to you and bringing and giving that to God. That is the antithesis of the principle of tithing, which comes off the top and is the very first and the very best of what God has given to you. If you make a contemporary application, then it would be the top off the top of your salary before you pay the government, before you pay the bills, before you go to McDonald's, before you spend it on anything else. It comes off the top. You give the very best of what you have to God. You give the very best of what you have to God. Number five. Now, here's where we get uh, stumped, most of us, in our spiritual journey. The tithe is a universal principle, but it does not originate in the law. For most of my life, when I was a young person, I said, well, you know, the tithe is not applicable to me. I'm a New Testament Christian. The tithe was instituted by Moses in the Mosaic Code and the Mosaic Law. But Jesus fulfilled the law, therefore the tithe is no longer applicable. There's only one huge problem with that. Abraham, hundreds of years before Moses, brought tithes to Melchizedek. Also, if you just go back to Genesis, that's right, Genesis chapter 4, verse 4, you discover the Hebrew word firstlings. The very best of what you have, God commanded Cain and Abel to bring. So that in the mind of God, the tithe is a universal principle in the same way that having a day of rest is in the creation scenario. They're on the same playing field that God says, here's how I'm going to work life and know right up front that on the seventh day you're going to rest or you're going to have a day of rest and you're also going to give the very first of your crops, a tenth of everything that you have as a sign that I'm on the throne and I'm in control of your life. You're going to give that to me, not because you're doing something good, because it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me. Number six, the tithe is important to God. What do Achan and Ananias and Sapphira have in common in the Bible? Achan in the Old Testament, Ananias and Sapphira in the New both lost their lives because they were messing with God's stuff, what belonged to him. They were withholding something that obviously belonged to God and they paid dearly for it. Tithing is important to God. Seven, tithing is the starting place for New Testament giving. Now that brings me to the second word. Start, uh, tithing is the starting point for New Testament giving. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, the second word is offering. How have we robbed you, God, in tithes and offering? Well, let me take you back again. Go back into church, big table at the front. Ushers come forward. They start to pray. And inevitably, somebody says, Lord, now receive our tithes and our offering. Now, when I was growing up, I thought that was the same thing, just a synonym, tithes and offering. But they're not. According to the Bible, tithes is that tenth that rightfully belongs to God that does not belong to you. The offering is what is given above and beyond what is required. Now, you think about the application. 
Some of you have never given God an offering because you've never given him a tithe. So your entire life, God has blessed you with health and the ability to make an honest wage. All that is good, you are more wealthy than two-thirds of the rest of the world, and yet you've never given God an offering because you've never, first of all, given him a tithe. Over 700 times the word offering is used in the Bible. And an offering is given not out of obligation, but out of love and appreciation to God. But the tithe, that's different. It's given out of obligation. Yes, that's right. Because it simply does not belong to you. You are returning to God what is rightfully his. So God doesn't sit up in heaven, oh, thanks for that, appreciate that. No, you're giving to God what is rightfully his. When I was on my work study, my niece came in the door one evening, terror on her face, because it had dawned on her just then that she had left the jewelry store at the mall with all the jewelry she had been looking at without paying for it. So she got my mother-in-law, and together they got in the car on the way to the mall trying to determine how they're going to rationalize this or explain what they had done. Now, when she returned to the jewelry store, do you think the jewelry store said, Wow, what an awesome act of gratitude and appreciation. No, because she was just returning what belonged to the jewelry store. When you give your tithe, God's not sitting up in heaven saying, wow, appreciate your effort. No, you're just returning what rightfully belongs to God. That's why when somebody says to me, I can't afford to tithe, you're missing the point. 90 of the $100 you make, belongs to you. The other 10 belongs to God. That's why God uses the Hebrew word translated rob. You're only robbing God if you're taking something that belongs to him. You see, 90% of what you make is yours. The other 10 is not. It belongs to God. Next word, interesting word, try me. Verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Can you feel the tension in this room? I can see it on your faces. Well, brother Jeff, I've loved you up until now. (laughs) Hey, you got to get the whole story from me, not just the part you like. And here's the reality. My study was worth this one word for the whole week. And I owe some tribute, so I want to pay it with integrity. G. Campbell Morgan helps me understand the next definition of sacrilege. And a guy by the name, Dr. James McDonald, a great preacher, but he has some good things to say in regard to this verb. Try me, God says. It's the only time in the scripture that God says that to you. Test me, try me. Now, how many of you know what a gauntlet is? Okay. A gauntlet, medieval times, You wore an armored glove to protect your hand during a sword fight. Because if you couldn't hold the sword, you were in deep trouble. And so you wore this big armored glove. Now, if you got in a dispute with one of your friends or one of your enemies, and you could not come to any conclusion verbally, and one of the partners lost his cool or temper, he would take the glove that was called a gauntlet, He would take the glove and throw it down and said, you want some of me? You don't think I realize how you've insulted me? You don't think I know the meaning of your words? Let's go, you and me, get it on right now, right now, mano, mano, you and me together. And he would throw down the gauntlet. That's what this Hebrew word try me means. 
God is saying, you don't think I know what you make? You don't think I know what my part is? You don't think I know what you're thinking? That I can make good on my promises? Right now, you and me, one-on-one, let's go after it. And he throws down the gauntlet. And he says, you will not lose in this. You will not lose in this. If you return to me what is rightfully mine, you will win. Every time. Let's go, you and me, one-on-one. And that's why we go to the next word. After he's thrown down the gauntlet, he says, I will open up the windows of heaven. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Now, there's a bit of poetic licensing happening here. Follow me. Here's what God is saying. If you don't return to me what belongs to me, you are robbing me. And if you do that, he says, I want you to look up into heaven and imagine that there is this big window that has been closed because I cannot condone your disobedience. So the blessings that I would normally give you, I'm going to close behind a window and it will not be opened until you start giving to me what is rightfully mine and stop robbing me of what belongs to me. But if you do the right thing, I will then open the window of heaven and the blessings will God will stream out of God will stream out and they will be poured into your lap, overflowing abundantly. Next word. The fifth word, rebuke the devourer. It's a phrase. And test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you. Now, no matter what translation you have, the devourer means the devil. God says, I promise to rebuke the satanic attacks in your life in the area of your finances if you obey me in this principle. Now, let me tell you something about this. This is not about God, if you don't tithe, coming down and punishing you and cursing you. Although he would have the right to do that. In the New Testament, the Bible says God disciplines those whom he loves. And if he really loves you and knows that if you withhold from him what rightfully belongs to him, and by doing that, you close the windows of heaven, God is not happy with that scenario. He wants desperately because he loves you to give you blessings, but you stifle the progress. So God does have the right to do that, but it's not what this text is saying. And some of you have grown up in churches as I had a younger brother that grew up in a church where the pastor convinced him he was a walking dead man that at any point God was going to zap him and kill him and curse him because he wasn't tithing. That's not what the Bible says. Although God would have the right to do that. It's not what the Bible says. He's saying that if you stop honoring me and giving me what rightfully belongs to me, then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull back and I'm going to let the devourer have his way with you. I'm not going to protect you. I'll stop the devourer from getting to you if you obey me. But if you don't, there you go. Free reign. Now, why would God do this? Well, first of all, what does it mean? When Robin and I went to New Zealand in my late 20s, very late 20s, we had made the transition from being missionaries in Africa to now being church planters in New Zealand. And after about four months in New Zealand with two new children, you know, Delaney was about two years and I think Sian's about a year, I realized that we had insufficient funds to survive. And I made a bad mistake. I stopped tithing. And let me tell you, let me tell you what happened. First of all, my church just stopped. Because how can I ask the people of God to do something that I, myself, first of all, am not willing to do? Second, 
The devil got a stronghold in my life because you know what happened? God withdrew his presence and I started making one bad financial decision after the next. Because when God withdraws, he's not there to lead and guide you. And so this insatiable appetite that you have, you don't have the restriction or the barrier that God says, no, stop, Jeff, this is not a good decision. But the devil loves it when you get in massive credit card debt. He loves it when you start to stockpile. He loves it when the bills start to come and you got this monkey on your back that's so heavy, it starts to deteriorate your marriage and all your relationships and what you're doing with your children. And God says, I want to stop, but I can't. Because if I do, I would be condoning your misbehavior because you're robbing me and you want me to step in now and repair your finances. No, I'm not going to do it. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. When you praise and worship God and you talk about all His goodness and then you fail to return to Him what is rightfully His... Do you understand that? That's why God uses the word rob, because it does not belong to you. It's his, and you fail to return it, then you know you're living a lie. You know you're living a pretense because you know clearly what the Bible says to do, and you're not doing it. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.